You're listening to WRIR LP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio, and this is RVA Report, WRIR's weekly current affairs talk show where community thought and political leaders gather to weigh in on the headlines, their significance, and where they might take us tomorrow. Change is hard, and in politics, change is even harder, which is why Richmond Public Schools, perhaps the most political of political entities in Richmond, has changed very little in the past decade. Even as the public has demanded it, the politicians have pledged it, and the business community has thrown money, time, and resources at it. But change is inevitable, and with the end of 2013, Richmond Public Schools ushers in a new year with some pretty big changes. This past Sunday, the school board voted unanimously to replace its chairman, Jeff Bourne, whose time and tenure had been marred by controversies over school performance, city funding for facilities, fights with the mayor, and even fights between board members that he led. And the week before, the school board voted 8-0, to 8th District School Board Representative Derek Jones was absent, to hire a new school superintendent. Dana Bedden takes over the reins from intern superintendent Jonathan Lewis, whose steady hands had been needed after the departure of Yvonne Brannon. So like it or not, change is here. But will that change be just to the window treatments? Or will real change finally come to Richmond Public Schools? And what's next for Jeff Bourne, one of the most promising young city politicians to win office in 2012? with Tyrone Green. He's a former president of the Richmond Crusade for Voters. Also Paul Goldman, former advisor to Governor L. Douglas Wilder, whose opinion column for WTBR has followed the recent school board drama. And I'm with Charlie Deardor, local pundit and my co-host here on RBA Report. Thank you guys for being here. Welcome back, Chris. Thank you very much, Charlie. So today we're talking a little bit about our recent drama on the Richmond School Board. We've got a uh, new chairman and a uh, new vice chair and a new superintendent, and all in fairly short time. And we've seen, I guess, the fast rise and rapid decline of a former chairman of the school board. Um, we saw a uh, one of our candidates for superintendent disappear very quickly. And I guess what we're talking about today is sort of where does this leave us? Where does this leave the school board, I suppose, in terms of its ability to, to operate? And, and what is this thing going to look like moving forward for the, the new superintendent? Paul, you have any thoughts? I see you writing a little bit about things. Yeah, I mean, that Bourne's no longer the chair really isn't a surprise. It's always, as we wrote, seemed to me to be fait accompli. He backed the Jackson, the guy that had to drop out, and I think that sort of sealed his fate. But so far it's been processed. They made a good choice for the new superintendent. I think Don Coleman is an excellent choice for chair. But now they're right into the budget season. And they've had troubles in the last couple of years coming up with a budget that people think is adequate for the school system. And that's going to be the first test. Fresh start, 
but that could still mean same old problems. So with this new superintendent, it seemed like he was obviously got an 8-0 vote. He's a unanimous decision to bring him in. But at the same time, there was this other guy, Jackson, previous Jackson, not Action Jackson, but the new Action Jackson, who looked like he was going to be our guy. He certainly was the consensus choice. They brought him here. Uh, Mr. Bourne was backing him. So was the new vice chair, uh, Kristen Larson. They seemed to have the votes. The mayor, everybody was on board. But um, as is, I wrote, is this on, what took? Is this what kind of took the wind out of Bourne's sail? I, th- I think basically they put all their chips on this guy. And as I, I wrote for WTVR, he didn't add up. Bedden was much better qualified. I mean, immensely better qualified on paper. Jackson was questionable, and quite frankly, without being critical, you know, he had his doctorate from an online university. To have him here as as school superintendent made no sense. And they had one open meeting, and he didn't get past the first couple of questions. So when you back someone like that, I think you lose a lot of credibility with your own board. It was interesting to me, Paul, to see somebody as political as Jeff. I don't even think there was a vote, was there? No, I mean, he never... If you analyze the votes, I never could see where he could get five. I just could never see where he get five, knowing uh, the school board members, and I, I know them all. But if for someone, you know, Charlie, someone like me looking at this, I say to myself, Jeff is the head of the school board. He's got the backing of the mayor. The mayor has basically created a six-figure job for him just to run the school board. Now here you're talking about his his job with Richmond. Right, which was created. We understand it's created. And you get, after a year on the school board, you don't have the thing locked up? Now... That's an interesting thing. I guess coming into uh, this first term of this, not first term, but first year of this this uh, wholly revamped school board, um, Jeff had the option, and in fact it looked like there was somebody else who was sort of in line to become the chair at that time. It was Kim Gray, 2nd uh, District, who was one of the holdovers from the previous board, one of two, her and, and Don Coleman who, of course, now is our new super, or, excuse me, chairman. And, in fact, what ended up happening was there was quite a lot of, of backroom machinations that led to Jeff Bourne ending up in that seat. Um, kind of a rising star, rising political star, very fast rising political star, somebody who had been, uh, what was he on, on the mayor's staff? Chief, or he's deputy, a deputy chief poli- of staff. Deputy, deputy chief, chief of staff. staff. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, very quickly, whom he's a school board chairman. Um, and again, he had the opportunity and the option to sit back and, and sort of let things transpire during this very tumultuous transition time. Was that a mistake politically for him not to have, have sort of taken his time coming into that role as, as a leader on the board? Well, you know, I want to go back to uh, what Goldman said, because something doesn't add up. Uh, you got to remember, before the superintendent's candidates were presented, they were screened by the Virginia Education well, I mean, that uh, association. That, right. VEA, Virginia yeah, Education yeah, Association. Virginia Education Association. So, Otherwise, what would be called a union in another state. But, but, and in fact, there was also a company that we, hired, company, a union. That so, we hired to vet these So out well. of the large pool of candidates, they advanced... There's about 75 of them. They advanced uh, those individuals. Mm-hmm. So 
while the guy, and I don't, you said that he had an online degree, then the, I question, well, why would they do that? I mean, well, uh, why, why would, if, if that was some concern? So the body, the board, had to pretty much follow the recommend, recommended names that were presented to them. And uh, if, if, if it made it past that, then that's, to me, a, you've got to go back and question the entities that brought the name forward. I mean, I think that's, you know, an excellent uh, point. But, you know, uh, for the longest time, in order to make the SAT scores in Richmond look like they were better than they were, they were counting the scores from the governor's school. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we have the machinations today over, oh, we have to, you know, uh, the diamond is falling apart, it's obsolete, it's not fair to the city to have the kids go to sit in the stands of a 1985, uh, that's when it was built in 1985. The average school in Virginia, in Richmond, it was built in 1955. We had schools today, right, that they had to close because there wasn't enough heat, and that was new schools. That's an, that's an average. Some of them are 100 or, and, or and, celebrating and so, 100th birthday. You know, uh, nothing could possibly surprise you about the, what goes on with the, Richmond, uh, with the Richmond school. But the fact is their number one choice, pushed by Bourne, pushed by Kristen Larson, was a guy who wasn't qualified to be the superintendent of Richmond. Excellent question. How did it get so far? But it did get so far. Let me let me let me ask this question because when they did open the new school, I believe last week was it last week so or I this think week? It was, it was this week. Yeah, it was this, and week. this is Martin Luther King. Yeah, yeah. Um, reopening. Tyrone, explain something to me. How does a new school educate children better? I would think a new school would educate children better because just just the, the appearance in itself and, and, and the pride that folks are going to bring into uh, that school is going to change the dynamics of how people think and how you look at something. It's just like a car, no different than a dirty car. When you get on a dirty car, it doesn't drive as, 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 as nice as a clean car. Well, I was absolutely and, astounded to hear our new superintendent of schools say we will not be an employment agency, we will be a service agency. The question is begged, do new schools teach a child better or does a new culture of teaching teach a child better? Well, I mean, I think it's uh, quite oh. clear. The, the, the evidence is clear. Let's understand, a school built in 1955 was designed for an education in the 1950s. And what was going on in the 1950s? The, most people didn't even have a color TV, didn't even know what a color TV was. The national news was 15 minutes a night, if they had the national news. Go back and watch the 1956 uh, uh, convention, the presidential convention, and see how they did it. That's number one. You have an entirely different curriculum. All the studies indicate that you have to design a school differently today, not just the equipment inside the schools, but design it differently. The leading expert on old school buildings happens to be somebody in, in um, Virginia Tech. We don't really, t he's, he's testified all around the country. We don't really pay any attention to here. He's only from Virginia Tech. <laughs> the locals and, never get that. And, the, and he has either. shown statistically that if you, go to, if you go to school in old buildings for your whole career, you lose probably a full year. Old schools, not only that, they exacerbate the health care problems, particularly asthma of kids. What kind of kids have asthma problems? Exactly the poor kids that go to the city of Richmond. The fact, that's, and finally, and they statistically and, have a higher rate. There's no, no question. And finally, much let's, un, let's understand this: asthma. <laughs> you build a school with funds from the capital budget. 
You run the schools with funds from the general budget. Mm-hmm. Money that's from the capital budget can't be used for the operational running of the school. So the money you spend on building the schools doesn't take away a dime from the operational. And as I have shown, and Tim Kaine, Governor Warner, uh, Senator Warner, Governor McDonald agree with me, if you would do the plan I've come up with, you, you could build schools 40% cheaper in the city of Richmond, and that money could then go for operational. So in terms of new schools helping, it's a slam dunk in favor. Anthony Jackson, was he, in part, I mean, we're talking about, well, how did he make it this far? How did he make it this far? Was he, it looked kind of like, again, Jeff was supporting him and strongly supporting him. Was he an administration uh, candidate? I mean, he, he had some local background. He was a, a, a principal in Henrico. Um, he had been, I guess, he had some history here in, in the city. He'd been, what was it, music director at a local church. Um, had a number of ties here locally. Is there some possibility that maybe this was who the administration wanted in that spot? I mean, basically what stopped Jackson was the public hearing that they didn't really want to have until some of us pointed out that, that in fact, you should have a public hearing. You, were, you promised a public hearing. Um, and then they went ahead and hold, held that meeting, and that's where Jackson sort of ran into a little bit of, uh, a little bit of problems. Look, the fact of the matter is, and I, I think Tyrone's got a good point, but Bedden was clearly the most qualified person compared to the other two. That is not even a question. They wound up, however, with the right choice. Now the question is, though, what is this right choice going to do? We really don't know. We can look at his record. He's, this is his third school district. This is really a step backward for him. If you look at his career path, and it has been, you know, exceptional how he's gone to school. Then he got, went to Florida, then he went to Penn State, then he went to Virginia Tech. Very unusual. He's much better qualified than anybody we've had to run the school system. He's this, his last two school superintendencies were for systems that were bigger. Just a couple of months ago, he tried to get to be superintendent in Wake County, North Carolina, which is like six times bigger. Right. That's Raleigh and a bunch of other stuff. And, and uh, he was... He winds up as one of the three finalists almost every time he competes because when you take a look at his qualifications and you see him in person. He looks pretty great. This is, this is a star guy. We have really got somebody. Yeah, Wake Help. County is huge, by the way, folks. I mean, Wake County is Raleigh and all the bedroom communities right. surrounding it. It's, it's, and so um, he had some trouble in Texas in his last place, but I think he just ran into a Tea Party crew. Well, and in fact, that's an interesting history right there, I guess. Uh, a lot of it was he was trying to push for Spanish language education for students there. And as Paul said, ran into a Tea Party block. They said, no, we don't want you know, Spanish. No, absolutely not. Because that sounds really smart. I mean, why would you want to be able to speak to the people who work for you? Right. And they they put their heels in, and he dug his heels in, and they let him go. Well, you know, that's Texas. I mean, we don't understand the politics in Texas, but it kind of breaks down to Latinos versus Anglios, you know, Anglos, and that's how it is. I don't understand it, but it's extremely divisive. Well, it looked like a guy who was willing to stand up for, for what his feelings and beliefs were on something. He, he, did, a, he didn't back moral, down. It was a moral stand he took. Well, I noticed in one of the articles where he said he encouraged the students at MLK to come to school prepared. And I'm wondering what he's going to propose to do because of the situation in impoverished Richmond that 
doesn't allow for them to be prepared going to school. Uh, you can encourage folks to be prepared to come, kids to be prepared to come to school, but if they don't have the resources in their homes to be able to be prepared to go to school, what then? It's a fair, it's a fair question. I think you do can you can look at his history, and you can figure out the kinds of things that he's done before, and we can suspect that he's going to try some of the same things here that he thinks worked there. He is big on parental involvement. Let's put it this way. He certainly can talk the talk. You, they're, they're, um, and his wife's a lawyer, by the way, hmm. probably smarter than all of us. So you, this, you have the new power couple. Paul, you're a lawyer too, man. Come on. Give uh, yourself some credit. Well, no, she's, she's... A better lawyer. They're, 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 oh, I mean, my. There's a uh, real power couple there, really, really qualified. Uh, they're just going to raise the level of the game here. However... You don't really know whether he's going to do new things here or just say, hey, this has worked in Georgia, this has worked in Texas, I think I'm going to just do that here. So are we going to have a cookie-cutter approach, or is it going to be more individualized? We don't know yet. Well, and what are are his, I guess, what is he up against walking in the door? We've got... a couple of new schools. We've been building schools. The mayor's been doing that, and this has been his agenda is to build well, some I, new I schools. I just want to put city. in that was money that Wilder he had not built any okay. school. That was money that the mayor Wilder put into the budget, and not necessarily for this. He's, he would have built more schools, except he took most of the money for a school that wasn't a priority. But he didn't get them built. Jones has gotten them built. So now we have uh, this is our fourth new school that's now open. Um, we are in a situation where the school board is asking for more money for capital improvement so that it can keep the buildings that it already has uh, running, uh, to put it bluntly. Um, we've got some problems with staffing. Uh, this is something that Lewis, uh, John Lewis, the, the interim superintendent, talked a lot about and why we now have um, – what is it? Teach for America coming into Richmond Public Schools is, a, is something of a small staffing crisis. Uh, trying to to patch that hole. Um, This guy has a lot of work to do. How much wiggle room does he have to get anything, I guess, creative done? Well, you've got to recognize that it's going to take anybody coming into any new position a good year and a half before they really figure out where the bathrooms are. And if we really think somebody's going to come in and next 60 days we're going to see dramatic change, I, I think I think you know. Doesn't um, Richmond always expect that? Well, though? but the reality of it is, you've you've got folks that have been in that system for twenty, thirty, forty years that uh, can run rings around uh, a number of individuals uh, uh, and know exactly uh, what games to play and how to lay whatever traps they need to lay. So he's got to first come in and acclimate himself with the. The, the black community, then he's going to have to acclimate himself with the white community, and he's got to figure out, you know, do I listen to what the black community is saying versus what the white community is saying, and then I got the teachers, and then I got the parents, and then I got the students. So, I mean, if we, we're we not going to see any realistic change uh, for a good year, year and a half, uh, uh, two years, uh, 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 to put it blunt. Bluntly, because by the time he makes it around to all of the schools, gets to know all of the staff, figures out 
you know, who to hire. And then you've got to recognize he's got to hire people. And so there's a steep learning curve for the folks that he may want to bring in to uh, replace some of the folks and put in position. This is a question, Tyrone, and who to fire? Exactly. Do we really have people actually get fired in this process? Do you think? Doesn't look like it. I mean, it looks like they just go and retire and, and come back and, and, and come, come back <laughs> uh, as consultants. <laughs> double dip. That's that's been the past. Well, we got the double dip. Where did the new chairman come from from on the school board? For years, it was Kim Gray, Kim Gray, Kim Gray. When you read the newspaper about anything having to do with schools, she's always pointing out the flaws and trying to fix them, and yet she's not the chair or the vice chair. What happened to Kim in this deal? The reality of what happened, and let's just be real, personalities. Okay. Okay. When you look at the personalities of the individuals on that board, they clash. Coleman was neutral for all practical purposes. He's sort of the nice guy. When you look back over the course of his tenure of being on the school board, you never saw him embroiled in any of the controversies. Mm -hmm. If you're going to rise to leadership, you need to be someone that's neutral, not someone that's picking fights all the time. And the problem with this school board, you got a bunch of cattiness. I'm not calling, you just got cattiness where they pick pick with each other. And Coleman and others don't seem to fall into that fit. So if you're going to really move the system forward, you need to move it forward with somebody that was more neutral. Okay. Right. But is, is Don somebody who has any the only thing I've seen him take an opinion on is school choice, um, and specifically as it relates to Shimborazo Elementary School. But going back to the cattiness, uh, and, and here you're talking about some of the, I'm assuming, vitriol that we've seen over the last uh, year with this board and some of these very public incidents that have occurred. With individuals on the board, not the entire board. You have to pull out the individuals. Mm-hmm. When you pull out certain individuals, you saw that. And let's not do that here. But has has Don... The characterization is, of, of the board is, is good enough. Is Don somebody who is going to be strong enough to, to exert himself as, as a chairman? Or is his neutrality going to extend into his chairmanship during... That may be during, what you want. I mean, that is what you want, Tyrone's I think. Tyrone's point is, is exactly what the politics have been... Small group politics tend to be more personal than policy. Okay. This, this board decision, the Kim Gray lost in a 5-4 vote. I would say this was she, during her, she the lost first at the beginning in a 5-4 vote, yeah, right. not because the five people loved Bourne more. They, they thought he was a better choice for whatever reason. I would, I would fight you on that one. In fact, I would tell you that I think... Before the election was even over, with Jeff was out there trying to pick pick cherries on on chairman. But that's not. But that's not how you got. But that's it, the process. You got to know what the five votes came from. Kim was the leading reformer on the old board. Okay, she came in and she had a certain reputation. Other people may have thought she was too strong a person. Whatever it is, Jeff was clever enough to realize that there were five votes. And that's why he didn't last, because there weren't five votes for him in the beginning. To focus this, you have right now a brand new superintendent uh, coming off of a the departure of a superintendent who left under some dubious circumstances. We had some very low test scores. We had some questions about just overall spending in the district, et cetera, et cetera. You have a board that has had a very tumultuous year. 
Um, you had leadership at the beginning of that year that was, I guess, putting the washing machine on on some sort of spin cycle as well. And now coming out of that, we have a chairman, a new chairman, who is, the, as you put it, the most neutral of them. And you have a new superintendent who's going to have at least a year or so before he can get his feet under him. Meanwhile, you have a very fleet-footed city administration that has some very specific goals in mind for education in Richmond. Who's going to be making education decisions well, what do they in the city? Do? What, do, what does the city want to do? They're building schools, and they're continuing to build schools. They have another one on the books that they'd like to build. Well, that's true. The question is, is you know, and there's a, and there's a lot of schools property that's in play with a lot of things that are going on right well, now. Well, that's of course, particularly in the boulevard and mm-hmm. and, and other things. In Arthur Ashe Center. But they do not have a plan for warehouses. rehabilitating the schools. Just building a new school every so often. We know that around the country, the average age of the schools keep going up because you you, know, you build one in forty of them age. The fact of the matter is, is that what the school boards next most important decision to be made in the next 45 days is the budget. Are they going to roll over as they have, generally speaking, for the mayor? Let's understand the process because the process has changed. The process used to be that the school board would propose a budget, what you would call a needs budget, for lack of a better term. If you read the state law and you read the city charter, it would seem to suggest that what the school board's obligation is, is to propose what it thinks it needs to run the school system the way it wants to run the schools. We have certain goals, it's gonna take X. That, that recommendation goes to the mayor in this case, or before it was different city manager. They then to say, no, we're gonna be X minus Y. Then you go, we're not going to give you that much. Then it goes to city council, and council would generally kind of maybe split the difference. That way everybody sort of wins in the game, okay? This changed under Mayor Jones. Mm-hmm. And now, whether this is by coincidence or, as Yogi Berra said, some things are too coincidental to be a coincidence, the school board started to recommend precisely how much money the mayor wanted to give them. Okay, that could have been by accident. The reason there was the blow-up in 2012 where the mayor went after the old school board was they finally said, no, no, we want more money than you're willing to give us. He brought the hammer down, basically knocked out six or seven of them. What's going to happen now? That's what's your point. If all they're going to rec- ask for is what the, school, what the mayor wants, well, then you're exactly right. They're exceeding, they're exceeding basic authority to the mayor. What's the superintendent going to do when he finds out two things? One, that this current budget, not the budget you're talking about, Paul, but the current budget, not the proposed, not the budget they're going to have to work on, was supposed to have a needs for, I believe it was what, Chris, you're more familiar with this, for fixing schools. There was how much identified, how many millions of dollars? There were, um, oh gosh, I think that, that they had an million? immediate $12 million. $12 million. And that and, was immediate. And that the line item under that $12 million in, in the 12-13 budget was $700,000 to meet that $12 million criteria. It started out as 500000 was raised to seven hundred and fifty Seven, by 750000 right. And I think what we had on this program, we had a couple of school board members who told us they were capable of spending this year about three doing improvements and needed three 12. Million. Yeah, $3 right. million. And, they, and they needed 12 And they needed 12 
And then, and then secondly, what is this? I'm sure the superintendent has found out and has known that this municipality pays, I'm sorry, spends 19% of its budget on schools, uh, whereas, whereas uh, the surrounding municipalities pay 36% and 38%. Hanover, I think it's 40-something percent. 40% in Hanover. So yeah, how the does this? Budget? Yes. Total budget. Yeah. Henrico spends 36% of its total budget on education. Correct. How does a superintendent, first of all, why would you want the job knowing those numbers? And secondly, how do you address that issue if you are the incoming superintendent? It was reported. Hold on, in let's the, step back. No, no, no. It was reported in the Augusta Chronicle in July that if he had not received a job before September 20th, he didn't get his buyout. After September 20th, he got a buyout of $261,000 from tech from the Irving school system. And here we're talking about that. This guy knows money. I want to know how much he knows about our money and what he's going to do to educate the children of Richmond with that money and how he's going to go out there and make a case to get real money for real teachers to teach real children. Well, if... the, the you always tell me to ask factual questions, well, a, Paul. There's some facts for you, well, baby. Well, there's several ways to look at it, of course. The question is, in terms of spending money per pupil, if you look at that number, which includes all your federal dollars and your state dollars and your city dollars, we probably have spent per pupil probably as much as any any school system in the state, probably more, about 20% more. But, of course, we have a different a different mix. Number two, if, if, I, if I were him, this is what I'd do. The first thing I do is I go through the whole budget. I would go through the whole budget and find out everything I could cut. And I would be basically everything I thought I could cut, how much money that's going to add up. Put that over the side because I'm going to want to take that money and I'm going to want to reinvest it back into the system. All right. Then the next thing I do, I take all the different things that I think we should have. Do we need scholarship programs? Do we need incentives? Do we need other ways to help parents to be in, in, involved? You know, in, in England, uh, and they tried to do it in, in New York, but it sort of fell into a, a patronage thing. What they did was they assigned parental involvement officers to schools. And their job was strictly to work with the parents who weren't being involved to find out how can we get you involved? What's it gonna take with your schedule? Instead of being judgmental, and where you, you you sort of you know you sort of belittle people, you work with them, and you say, look, okay, we know your situation's tough. Now let's go through it. How do we do it? How do we turn the schools into a place where people want to come and do these kinds of things? So I would first find out everything I could cut so I could save money. The second thing I'd find out all the things I think we had to do, come up with a number for it so I know the parameters, and then. I'd have to make the following decision if I was a school board. The school board either has to say, we are going to stand up for the schools, propose the money we need, not worry where it's, it's, it's the city council and the mayor's job to find the money. That's how the system works because they don't have the authority. Or they say to themselves, you know, that would be a little too confrontational. And I need to get reelected, and I need to get the city Democratic Committee endorsement to get reelected. So therefore, I better do and say what I'm told to do, and say therefore I'll do what I'm told to say. Well, you're, but you're, you have three years. You got three <laughs> years before you have to worry about that. So you can you the school they're board, always there that that this thing is being leveraged constantly. That endorsement process is being leveraged at every. T 
turn. If you don't do this, you won't get the city committee endorsement. If you don't do that, you won't get the, And you know this is true, Paul. Okay, well, let's go back to 2012 when they didn't do what the mayor wanted. And they asked for what? Was it $20 million, $19 million or 19. something? It was a big number. It was a big, relatively big and number. And he went after them all and got he, all he, up but two. He appointed this committee, which he said would help do whatever. He brought in all the big guns. All they were there was to pound, pound the board and, and into submission for the mayor so the mayor could keep his distance. Once the mayor defeated all these people, that all of a sudden this great committee was supposed to have a lot of ideas. Um, as I said at the time, there's, you know, all they could tell you was how to do it cheaper. They never came up with a single idea on how to do education better. Okay, and that's what we're lacking. As I say, your first, cheaper, I get it, save money, good politics. Boil it down to the public. Yeah, we're not wasting any of your money. Once they agree with that, then you say, but if you want to make it better, there's no free lunch. And here's my plan to make it better. So how do you make it better? What does this guy need to do coming in? What are his priorities? I think you have to decide what are, here's what I, what I, what I number one, I don't, I don't trust any of the benchmark numbers. I don't trust the SOL scores. I don't trust the SAT scores. I don't trust any of that the way it's being done in Richmond. I, I see Tyrone nodding his assent to that. This is, this is a, an issue. I agree with you on the SOL thing, but the SAT thing? It's like, my point is, right now, 50% of the kids take it. I saw where he was talking about, well, I'll get more. One of the benchmarks that, that, that folks have had in, in, in other, we don't know his contract, but some of the benchmarks, they have some performance benchmarks in his contract where he can get up to $20,000, $25,000 more, fairly standard. Right. In, 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 they use a lot of these benchmarks. You know, I get X amount of more kids to take the SATs and all this stuff. I'm not sure they prove anything. I first want to know precisely where we are. I don't trust anything that's been put out in the past. How do you find out where we are? Well, that's part of his job. To find out, I want what are accurate measures of what do our kids really know now. They can find that out. We can figure that out. Because then we'll know how much progress how much progress we can make. Number two, I would do an individualized assessment of every single student. Politically, do we want to find out where our students are right now? I mean, this Only, has been oh, this has been part of the problem with that's moving. That's part of the problem, Chris. It's all about politics and not about reality. Right. So politically, we want to find out where our students are. We're, we're presuming I that we do. That, it's a fair question. In the past, this has been part of why we don't. That's I mean, this correct. is why the SOLs exist. Is politically, we don't want to know where kids we're, are. We we're want to know what where. You should do. We're not we're, we're assuming you're not playing politics. That's a separate question. Okay. And, okay. I would then do an individualized assessment of every single student. Uh, okay. How do you afford that? Wait a minute. You got 4,000 people working for the school system. Is 24,000. That's six. That's... You can do it. That's your job. You're being paid to do it. If I do my math right, and I didn't go to public schools, but that would be six students per teacher. Okay. Oh, you and you not 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 per teacher. There's a, there's some oh, other yeah. people other people in the school system besides teachers, and, and, and you know you didn't have slept in class, Charlie. And and the um, um, you can do an individualized assessment. Is it easy? No. But you have all these other folks that want to help. You have to do that. And the individualized assessment has to be first learning skills, second, are they healthy enough to learn, and then I would have an assessment of parental involvement because that's the number one thing that would improve test scores. So to shorten this, 
parental involvement, assessment of medical ability to learn, and assessment of where they stand academically. That I do for the kids. This then, is number one. This is your number one thing that this superintendent for, for would do. For the children. Then you're going to have to be brutally honest on the level of your teachings. Are they capable? The studies indicate that over 50% of the teachers in Richmond aren't qualified to teach. No, with t- math Where's teachers. That study? Where's that study? I'm not going to tell you where it is. I got to look it up because I remember. I, I remember using it. Mark Warner was talking about it in one of his studies, uh, showing how did. the teachers were in, in this. I remember this was going his audit door- of, of RPS in re- 04. Okay, I re- all I re- right. I remember going door to door. As long as you got some, some and ran basis, into one a, of the somebody who said, "Yeah, I heard you say that," and she told me I was wrong. I teach teachers. That's my job, and it's much higher. We need to to be honest with the teachers. And tell them, look, no, we're not ask, we're not trying to fire anybody, but we're going to give you time to raise your skills. Now, if you won't do that, that's on you. So, student assessment, teacher's assessment, and obviously he's making his administrative assessment by definition. That's easiest for him. Three cylinders. If he does it, we can make a lot of progress. Tyrone, thoughts? Oh, well, I agree with that, but. Um politically and I, I think it's going to be very difficult to uh, go through and do the, the assessment of the, of the kids. I think that it's going to be difficult for him to really assess the teachers because I think the REA is going to push back uh, on that and, and others will push back on that. And uh, so while it sounds good, uh, realistically I don't see it happening. So but, we're, well, we're right where we started well, at the no, end of this I mean, process. And I, understand, I understand that that's it's a very, very good read as certainly the history mm-hmm. and very good read as to maybe where we are. However, you know, I've been lucky enough to take on a few challenges that couldn't happen, it happens. And the reason it happens is if you get somebody in there who wants to do it, is prepared to pay the price, the superintendent, the mayor, the city council, the school board has the ability, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, has the ability to make it happen and will probably, probably I would say, have very strong support in the community, certainly have strong support with the State Board of Education, and I would assume Ann Holton is the new state super state. She's, she's got a, a little bit of a, of a stake in Richmond Public Schools. I would think so. So coming right back around to it now, we have a new superintendent. We have a new chairman of the board who is, as we've said, very neutral in terms of he's, he's sort of the sleeper candidate. We don't know where, where his opinions lie. Um, and we have a much stronger administration than we do schools administration or uh, school board. So what is the likelihood of, of us moving moving this ball forward? At well, all? you've got to see what the superintendent is going to do in terms of his administrative staff. One man can't change a system. That man is going to need an army. And, and so you've got to really evaluate and see what who his picks are going to be, where he's going to strategically place them, and what they're going to do. Are we going to see a house cleaning at the central office? This is Richmond, and I don't really think so. I think we want that to happen. But, but I, I, I just don't see it happening. I sit on a university board, and, and I just don't see those, kind of th- those changes occurring um, uh, as rapidly as, as they should and, and as rapidly as folks want them. I think that uh, Richmond is, is, is good on 
a, a lot of wants and we want to do this we want to do that but when the rubber meets the road I, I think we, we just we just kind of slow it down you know uh, we, we still operate uh, as a cruise ship we, we cruise along uh, because there's some that feel that if we're on that cruise ship we eventually get there whereas others who want a speedboat approach want to get there faster and and I, I still think that Richmond operates uh, uh, much like a cruise ship it's funny you hear about a ta- or lack of, of political will, but it sounds like what we're talking about is the political will is to maintain steady course. The energy of change seems to have dissipated. It seems that as people have been able to achieve political success, they're, le- they're not so concerned about, well, we may leave some people behind. If we could take the energy from the 40s or 50s, which was bubbled up on education, and put it in here, I think Richmond could move extremely fast. And I'm kind of puzzled as to why, given the extent of the problem, which in some respects is worse for a lot of these kids, certain, not, not since segregation, but since the 70s and 80s and 90s, things have, if not receded, at least leveled off. And that's surprising that there's not more energy to change that. Back in the 40s and 30s, 40s, 50s, black community really had to come back to one place, which, and, and we did not have choice. Now we have choice. If you don't like what you see in Richmond, you can move to Henrico, you can move to Chesterfield, you can move to Goochland. And so that's part of the problem, too. And, and those uh, uh, of us that have moved uh, and I'm one of them that have moved into the counties, you know, uh, uh, have not put the investment back into the city school systems, of which we are a product of. Uh, uh, because to be quite honest, my kids are educated in Henrico, and I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world right now. Uh, but I was educated in, 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 in Richmond. And, and at that time, I did get a decent education. So we've got to take responsibility, and we've got to make that investment uh, back into the system ourselves. It's interesting, though. I mean, w- what that. we're talking about here, this is a this is a much more global conversation at this point. It's not about our superintendent or about our our, uh, our chairman of the board. Uh, we're talking about the fact that we've hit a point in, in our politics where it requires a crisis before we move forward, and it, we've not reached crisis. But, but Chris, the, cri- the, the oh, this, we reached crisis a long time well, ago. Well, not but, for the people who are comfortable, but the, because they're comfortable in their elected offices. It's a whole different era. And so what Richmond is suffering from and the kids are suffering from is does society have an urgency to fix and help them or is society in its own way saying, you know, we really don't need them. We can't tell them. So we're just going to kind of, you know, we'll pay people to do this and we'll do that. Keep the lid on. But we're really not going to change too much because we won't get hurt in the end. But I would make the argument that the lid will never stay on naturally for a very long... It'll stay on for as long as it possibly can physically. But at one point or another, that lid is going to blow off. Well, I'm, I'm not... You know, we're not going to... That's you know, physics. That's that's natural law. Well, what we're, we're talking about here, and, and I guess one of the examples would be the mayor's poverty program. I mean, he's talking about curing poverty, which we know nobody can do. It's a great goal. But at the same time, how do you get somebody out of poverty if they can't get a good job and you can't get a good job without a good skill and you can't get a good skill without a good education so it all gets back down and as I'm pointing out if there's an urgency to fix it that's one thing 
But if Tyrone's right and it's more just more political rhetoric so you can get elected and sound good, well, that's all you're going to get. Enough stuff to make it look like you're doing something, but you're not going to challenge any special interest to make some real changes. That's where we are now. And, and one thing I need to add, we really need to look at the skill set of the individuals that we're putting in positions to make sure that they really have the ability to do the job. I agree. Sometimes people are just too young and too inexperienced. There's a certain level of skill set that you need. There's a certain level of, of seasoning that you need before you jump into uh, some of these positions. And you're talking the political positions, the elected uh, all of positions. Them. Yeah, all of them. I, I think all of them. Let's look at the school board. How, I think three of them were, and this is, again, gets to the point of the people who really urgent to solve the problem. Three of the nine positions, I think, were elected without opposition. Yes. Right? So that means only three people, or one in each of the districts. Are you talking about Kim, too? Actually filed. She, no, Kim, she Kim, had opposition. I know. She, she had opposition. The, the point is, I think Coleman ran unopposed. I think Tichy ran unopposed. And I believe Chandra ran, ran unopposed. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Wow, so, I forgot that. So mm -hmm. you have three of the nine. And so that would indicate not a great deal. That's one-third of the school board. Nobody else even, there weren't even two candidates. That's not, that is sort of reflective, perhaps, of what we've been discussing here tonight. The fact that there are people, a lot of talk. A sense of urgency in the community to get something done. If yeah, there, I, if, no, there, if there was, you'd have, argument. you'd have more people, you would think, wanting to, wanting to be on the on the board well you would also think that people would want to and I've, I, I'm going to take this opportunity to rail one more time you would think there would have been an outcry in the sixth district against a woman who had claimed to have a doctorate and in the end didn't have a doctorate but you didn't hear a peep out of the sixth district or any of the people from the sixth district that I heard that said this is wrong you need to resign no one called for her ouster. No one called for her resignation. We're getting failing grades as a city when it comes to educating our children. I don't like SOLs. I don't think they're, they're, they're designed properly. I'm not an education uh, expert by any means, but I don't think anybody would argue with me on that point. But at the same time, if you look at those SOLs, and I, I, I just argued against myself, but if you do look at those SOLs, you see that we are doing very, very poorly. Now, folks like you and, and, and former mayors of this city and former uh, uh, city council people would probably argue, well, you know, it's true. We only spend 19% of our budget on education. But in the aggregate, we spent, I'm sorry, when you look at it on a per student basis, we spend more than anybody on a per student basis on education. What are we getting for it? That's the end question. And I'll say it publicly. Why do I send my kids to private school? One, because I want them to go to an Episcopal school. But two, I can't afford to send them to private to public schools in this city because they don't give them a good education. Because I've heard too many nightmare stories from my neighbors who send kids to schools who, who, who tell me when I was running for city council, I'll just let it all out on the table right now, who, tell <laughs> me, who told me door to door, if you fix the middle schools, I'll stay in the city, otherwise I have to move. Why is there only one IB program? And why is that IB program really not the best IB program on the planet Earth? Why do we have these problems? Because we as a community are willing to accept failure. This has been a great show to do. I'm <laughs> I mean, you know, I, 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 was, I was looking at what this 
new superintendent had done before. And I'm hoping he does challenge the system because he challenged the system in Texas and they fired him for it. He resigned, but in essence, they fired him for it. But you have to help him challenge the no, system. No, I'll be happy. No, he I'll can't challenge the system himself. No. He's I, got to. He has to have the support job, of the community. See, see, if you live in a city and you're sending your kids to private school, what should he do? He should figure out a way to convince you to put your kid back in that public school. The process starts, we're talking about the school budget, with the board. The board recommends, working with the school superintendent, recommends a budget. They can recommend whatever they want. There's nothing, as I say, the law seems to say they're supposed to recommend a needs budget. What they think they need, not what they think they will be given by the city council or the mayor. So that, once again, the question becomes, is this superintendent on his feet enough because he's just gotten here? Is the staff that he has behind him interested in helping him to be on his feet enough? And is the board that we've got and the leadership on the school board that we've got strong enough at this point to assert something that would be their own budget? I think so. I mean, the old board did it in 2012. I mean, they ran into a buzzsaw. And, um, you know, they fought the mayor. I don't think their strategy was particularly good. Uh, they fought the mayor, and the ones that fought him the most, you know, didn't survive the election. Um, but they, would, they did do it. Now it's, they've just picked a new—now it's 2014. You've got a board that was elected as reformers, as reformers. In fact, the only the two holdovers were Kim Gray Wright and Donald. How, Coleman. how were they? How were they elected as reformers? They were the mayor's they, slate. No, they, they were. They were not. They, they were elected the as reformers. What are you talking about? They okay. were largely elected as reformers. Okay. They were reformers, and, and and Jeff Bourne was elected as a reformer. He and, was. And Derek Jones was elected as a reformer. He was. And there's no reason to believe either Derek or Jeff are changed one bit. Both serious ties to the mayor, by the way. Uh, and and but the fact of the matter is, being it, a Jones, that would is, be a is, tie. Is that they were elected, they made some promises. I trust that they are reformers. Obviously, some people push a little more than others. There is nothing to stop this board to unite and say we promise change. We got a new superintendent, just like we said we did. And whatever the process was, came out pretty good. No harm, no foul. Now we're moving to the budget. And we are going to tell you what we think we need. You, it's up to you to fund it. I'm hoping they're willing to do it. I'm hoping they're willing to make the tough choices. There's no reason why they can't. And with that, Tyrone, let me ask you, you think it's going to go anywhere? And this is the last question. Do you think they have the political will to get something done? I think that they have it, but like I said, you need to really go back and see. You know, in order to do a budget, you got to understand a budget. You've got to understand money. You've got to understand how to move it around. you got to understand how programs work. And I'm not sure a lot of people, not just this board, but a lot of people on a lot of boards really understand the intricacies of uh, balancing and dealing and preparing budgets. I mean, look at their own, your own households. Do we really do that at our own households? Uh, uh, some would argue no. 
so so I, I think there's some challenges ahead. I think that uh, we'll see. You have to give him you have to give him uh, time. And let me just say this about Jeff. Maybe it is probably better that Jeff is not uh, a chair because it, the, we have been folks have been so unfair to Jeff. Jeff is a highly educated uh, individual. He's a lawyer by training. But from day one, he's always been criticized as being the mayor's person. And that's really unfair. No one has ever really given him and or Derek an opportunity to show what they are really capable of. So now if he steps back and Don Coleman, because for all we know, anybody could have been uh, 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 picked by the mayor uh, uh, for any of these things. And, and even if that's the case, is there anything wrong with that? You know, because really, it, in, in defense to the mayor, I'm seeing some very positive things happen. Controversial, but positive. I mean, we've gotten these schools built. We've gotten this debate going with uh, uh, the, the, the the baseball stadium. We you mean the economic development we, we, package. We got, the, we got the Redskins stadium going. I mean, we got some things moving. People don't like it. People are criticizing. But as one thing that's it's doing. That's the nature, that's but, the nature but, but, of but, the beast. But, but one thing it's doing is causing folks to debate. Right. It's causing folks to think. And that mind that sits idle is not be, is not sitting idle anymore. So I think we all need to kind of back off of, of, of being so critical of the mayor, of, of Jeff, and, and recognize and look at Jeff as the individual that he is. He's a he's a competent, polished, professional, young African American male, and any parent would want to African American who has a son would want one want the daughter to marry somebody like that, <laughs> and if you had a son, you want somebody to achieve what you he's achieved. I'm not saying anything. All right, against <laughs> so that. now what I am saying is, and the only question I brought up was a political question, and that was a very valid political question. How did he not get to be chairman again? That was the only. That's the only. That's the only question I've got. But. Listen, we're trying to wrap this up, and, and I'm, I'm getting pinched by the uh, host. So let me ask. The question, I guess, is now with Jeff in the position he's in, which is no longer chairman, it puts him in a spot where now he can kind of be himself and be there. Is this better for him, I guess, to have not been elected chair? And I guess we have from Tyrone that maybe it is. It gives him a moment of clear, or to sort of clear the air and be his own politician, I guess, in the next three years. Is this a good thing for, for Jeff? Well, I think... Goldman is, is, couldn't answer that question because the perception is that Goldman was always the, 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 the underdog for Doug Wilder. And, and, and while he has established himself as his own true person, I'm sure for years you've, you've had to live under those kind of shadows. And, and that's why you are as vocal and as, 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 as strong as you are. But, and it's unfair to constantly label some person people. Sometimes we need to look at individuals for who they are, give them an opportunity uh, uh, to, to show what they're capable of doing, and, 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 and recognize that there's nothing wrong with an association. There, has nothing, there was nothing wrong with Goldman's association with Wilder. You know, a lot came out of that. There's nothing wrong with, with Jeff Bourne's or Derek's association with the mayor. A lot has come out of that. There's nothing wrong with folks' association with other people. It's nothing wrong with that. Use it to your advantage and build on it. Paul? Well, I wrote on the WTVR, my blog, that I thought it would be better if Jeff did run for school board uh, chair for, you know, 
in general, a lot of the reasons that uh, Tyrone has, uh, has mentioned. And uh, basically what I thought was, given what was necessary now, and given the fact that Jeff would be in a no-win position, because in order to make change, I thought you would have to challenge the mayor and city council for more money and more support. And he's in the position as if he challenges the mayor, people say, well, man, he's disloyal. But if he doesn't do it, people say, well, he's listening to the mayor and not to the needs of the school system. So I think that this past year was a good chance for him to show what he could do. This, and I said, look, whatever, you, whatever happened in the end, you got a good new choice for school superintendent. Leave on a high. I like the way Derek, as I've written, I like the way Derek is playing, Derek Jones is playing it. He's kind of laying back, letting other people. He's got a big name, he's got all the, he doesn't need it, and just play. So I think things will work for the best because Coleman's big advantage is that he's a more collegial guy. He's not there because he represents any one famous, powerful politician. He's just a nice guy who will give more of the board involved. There'll be no secret meetings. There'll be everyone will think they have access to the information. So I think it could all work for the best. And I suspect that it will, as long as they don't lose their nerve. They were elected as reformers. They need to take the next step, and that's going to be a challenge to the mayor and the city council, the school system needs more resources. And I Charlie, think, your thought? I think you're talking about the next uh, city council person from the third district when you talk about Jeff Bourne. Um, I think that this will give him some space to be able to fundraise uh, and to do the things that are necessary for him to set up uh, with the announcement that uh, Chris Hilbert is running for mayor. Um, what, two years ago, as soon as the elections were over within 12, he said he was running a year and a half ago or so. Uh, and so this gives Jeff a leg up uh, with time. It takes a lot of time to get things organized to run, uh, even for a city council seat. And so I think uh, Jeff's next play is to run for city council in the third and I think we're talking about the next city council person from the 3rd District. All right, and I think that's it for tonight. I've been with Tyrone Green. He's a former president with the Richmond Crusade for Voters. Paul Goldman, he's a former advisor to Governor L. Douglas Wilder, whose opinion column in, uh, for WTVR has followed these recent school board uh, dramas and dilemmas. And, of course, Charlie Dirador. He's a local pundit and my co-host here on RBA Report. Thank you for being here, guys. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. And that's RBA Report for Thursday, January 9th, 2014. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Dovey. RBA Report is co-produced by myself, Charlie Dirador, and Brittany Tracy. The Richmond Public Media News Team is Cameron Vigliano, Abid Rachman, and Anafrio Castilla. News keeps happening, which means there will be plenty more to talk about next week right here on RBA Report. Join us.